You're listening to audio from Park Church. More info and resources are online at parkchurch.org. Take care. Psalm 122. Let us go to the house of the Lord, a song of ascents of David. I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. I know what you guys are thinking. Wonder if it's going to be short. Wonder if it's going to be short. And then you see me, and you're like, "Nope, not going to be short. It's not going to be short." Uh, we are, uh, we are beginning our series of Christ in the Psalms, re-beginning. We do it every year. And before we get into the specific Psalms, which is 120, starting next Sunday, uh, we're going to take some time and just talk about what the songs of ascent are. Uh, we're beginning. Uh, this Sunday or this next Sunday through 15 psalms that are all labeled with this superscription says the songs of ascent. And so we're going to talk about what that, what that is, what those songs are for, and kind of look back before we dive into each individual psalm and see sort of the forest so we can make sense of the individual trees that make up this collection of psalms. Uh, and so uh, that's what we're going to be doing this morning. Uh, before we do, I just want to kind of go back to Well, we were taking some time and space uh, to consider and to lament together uh, with the shootings that happened uh, in Uvalde. Uh, It's a hard thing to slow down and to pay attention to the brokenness in the world. Uh, I know for me this whole week, every time I would give myself time to think about it and space to think about it, it was just overwhelming. It just felt like my soul was just getting ripped in half. And, And it's not, it's like it's hard to do. Our souls like aren't made to feel that kind of brokenness and pain, but it's the brokenness and pain that really exists in this world. And then to slow down together and to grieve the brokenness that, that happened in Uvalde with the, the death of all of these sweet children and teachers, and to think about the brokenness that doesn't just exist in Uvalde, but all around the world when these egregious acts of wickedness happen, to think about the brokenness in our own lives and own story, our own story is really hard. It can be really emotionally overwhelming. Uh, but as the people of God, it's really important for us to slow down and to feel the brokenness. We just sang, do you feel the world is broken? We, we do. We're tempted not to. We're tempted to distract ourselves or numb ourselves or find some way to spin everything and make it feel less broken. But really the foundation of what it means to be Christian is to acknowledge the brokenness in the world and the brokenness within our own hearts and our own lives. And then in that space of brokenness, to turn together to God who alone can bring restoration, healing, grace, and transformation to the world. And that's really what the Songs of Ascent are all about. It's about people that are recognizing that life apart from the presence of God is a broken, painful experience uh, in this world, and that the only hope is to turn to God, to lift our eyes to the hills, and to go towards Him in faith that He alone, as the maker of the heavens and the earth, can bring redemption rescue, healing, grace, forgiveness into this world. And so what our hope is, even as we walk through these psalms this summer, is that God would meet us as a people in the midst of these places, not as a time to actually ignore the emotions of the brokenness, but to actually pay attention to it and let God, through these songs, as a people, guide us back to himself, really back home to where we belong in his presence, where he alone can give the hope of restoration. And so we're going to pray that he would do that among us uh, this morning, as we enter into this, this series through the Songs of Ascent, I really think God will meet us in really beautiful ways uh, in this series this summer. And let's pray right now that he begin to open our, our hearts to what he wants to do among us. Let's pray. 
Now, Father, we just uh, sang and asked the question, does the Father truly love us? And we said, he does. And we asked, does the Spirit move among us? And we said, he does. We asked, does Jesus, our Messiah, hold forever those he loves? He said, he does. And does our God intend to dwell again with us? He does. And so I pray that even as we sing those things, you would help our hearts believe it. That you love us. That your spirit moves and works among us. That you hold forever those whom you love. That you intend to. You have purposed to. You have wielded all of your sovereign power to the end that you would be dwelling again with your people, that all things would be made new, that tears would be wiped away, that death would be no more, that all the sad things would become untrue, that some kind of redemption would take all the brokenness and all the pain and the glory that you have in store for us would make that pain and brokenness feel light and momentary compared to this eternal weight of glory that you are bringing into fruition through Jesus and the Spirit. And so, Father, we pray you'd help us to believe it today and that you'd help us as a people as we journey towards you, as we lift our eyes from the brokenness in our own lives and around us and we look to you again and again and again. Would you help us on this journey, on this long journey with twists and turns and setbacks and valleys with beautiful moments and painful moments and confusing moments and heartbreaking moments. Would you help us to keep looking to you as a people? And would you allow these Songs, uh, these 15 songs of ascent to guide us back home with you, guide us back into your presence again and again and again while we stay faithful and seek to faithfully follow you until you come again and make all things new. So help us this morning to lift our eyes to you, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Every summer, uh, at least every summer, my family makes the road trip back to Kansas City, uh, where my wife and I are both from, this trip home. And I've talked about it before. There are a lot of times in my story for, for a while. Anybody make that trip across I-70 periodically? Not just to Kansas, but somewhere, somewhere eastward. I-80 is not that much different. I think I-80 has a little more contour to the ground, but I-70 is, is a standard trip for us. And uh, for a long time, it just felt so boring to me. I, I like dreaded this trip. And then as our family kind of got older, I, I really like began to love it for a lot of different reasons. Uh, one is all four of our kids would just be securely strapped into one place. And it was just like, that was good in its own, in its own right. And then like eight to nine hours of like uh, uninterrupted or semi uninterrupted uh, conversation with my, my wife is always like a lot of fun. Uh, you know, I've, I've joked before because it's one of those things you can just kind of sit in the, in the van. We have a van specifically for these kinds of trips. And you can just lower the steering wheel, you know, put your knee on the wheel and uh, set the cruise control and just go, you know. And we've talked about the ways, you know, you got the ways map, right, to remind you to pray for the police officers as you pass them. You know, and so you're just like... <laughs> Just praying for the police. Oh, there's a police officer. Let's pray for them real quick. And uh, so you're on your way down I-70 and you're cruising and going. And it's like I've, I've come to enjoy aspects of it. And, uh, and I've come to appreciate the beauty of, of that drive in a lot of different ways. Um, one, as you're, going through, as you're going through the fields of grain, you know, you've got those billboards of Jesus waving. You know what I'm talking about? He's always like, what's up? We're like, what's up, Jesus? He's like, welcome back to the Bible Belt. We're like, good to see you again, you know? Uh, it's like waving, welcoming everybody back to where he lives in the Bible Belt. And, um, 
And so you have these like, you know, it's, it's fun. But for us as a family, it's also been fun to kind of like, for God to redeem and restore our own kind of experience of home. For a long time, I, I really wanted to be away from home. I wanted to experience new things and, and drive to new places and experience culture in other ways. And had for a while, a kind of a superiority complex over Kansas and Kansas City and just felt like Denver's better. We lived in Chicago, Chicago's better. And in time, just really grew to appreciate home. And so every time we're on these drives, we always have kind of these summer playlists that we have. And included in these summer playlists are a few country songs. I'm not like down on country. It's just never been my thing. I've never been like, oh, country's bad. It's just never been my thing. But my wife loves country and she's ex- kind of introduced me to different songs that she's like, you'll like this one and you'll like this one. And most of the time I'm like, yeah, I like that. I like the story or whatever it is. And so there's three particular country songs that normally make their way into this journey for us, this journey home. And uh, one is Jason Aldean, Flyover States. Anybody know that one? It's a couple guys, you know, on a plane, first class, New York to L.A., and they're just flying. They're looking out the window like, let's look at these dirt roads, and who'd want to live down there, they say. Who'd want to live down there? Middle of nowhere, right? It's like, well, they've never drove through Indiana, right? They've never seen a harvest moon in Kansas. You know, they've never seen these kind of experiences in Oklahoma. They've never seen this stuff in Texas. And the idea is, like, there's actually beauty uh, in these places, well, there's real beauty, there are real people and real life and real scenery and, and things that are just different and there's a beauty, right? And so you listen to this song as you're driving through the amber waves of grain and you're like, man, there's a beauty here. You see the expansiveness, the sky, it's beautiful. Another song that we listen to periodically is Amarillo Sky and Amarillo Sky is not about Kansas, it's about Texas, but it reminds me of my family who are all farmers and just the, the goodness and the dignity and the beauty of that our agricultural work that's just surrounded. You see acres and acres and acres of farmland and corn and soybeans and wheat all over the place. And you just think about the, the faithful work that's happening as people do this work. And there's a beauty. There's a beauty that you can appreciate. Another one that we've listened to periodically is Miranda Lambert's The House That Built Me, where she's just going back through her house where she had grown up as she's going back and her parents don't even live in there anymore, but she's remembering how she was shaped in this space and the experiences. And those songs for me kind of begin to tune my heart to appreciate this journey home, to appreciate the journey home, the journey to an area in the country where I grew up and was shaped into experiences and family and community. And it kind of reminds me and builds in me a fondness for the experience of home. The, the songs of ascent that we're looking at are very much like that. They are arranged and compiled and put together to help the people of God give a soundtrack for us as we make our journey home. They remind us of the significance of what God has done in our history, what he's done for us, and what it means to leave these far countries and to make our way back home. And they are very much designed to be a sort of soundtrack, a sort of playlist to guide the people, to awaken us as a people to the significance of God's invitation, his mission to bring us home and the journey that we have to get there. And so what we want to do this summer before we dive into specifically Psalm 120 is just is kind of take a high-level look at the songs of ascent as a whole and say, what, what's the purpose of this playlist? What's the purpose of these songs? And they are very much songs for the journey home. That's what the songs of ascent are. They're songs for the journey home. And so my hope today is to actually back up a little bit, take a big look at the Psalms as a whole, uh, why the book of Psalms has a unique place in the history of Christianity and the history of God's people, why we revisit the Psalms every single summer, what we think they 
kind of lead us into that's a little bit different than sort of narratives you'll find in the Gospels or some of the logic and the arguments made in the epistles or some of the kind of experiences in even Israel's history. The songs have a different way of connecting with us as people, and I think it's really meaningful for us. So we're going to take some time to look at the, the Psalms as a whole and create a little space to do that and then hone in specifically on the Songs of Ascent and say, why are these here? Why do they fit together the way that they do? So that when we go through each of the songs this summer, these We'll go through 10 of them this summer, five of them again the next summer. Uh, but when we're going through these to understand how they function in the whole uh, as a kind of a, a beautiful collection of poetry that God has given us to guide us on this journey home. And so I want to start with uh, really this question, kind of why, why do we revisit the Psalms every summer? Every summer we re- revisit this series, Christ in the Psalms, and we've been working our way through the Psalms for over a decade Uh, And we got a few years left, right? We're in Psalm 120 through 129 this year. We cover 10 to 12 every year. Why do we do it? Uh, One is the Psalms are just, they're Scripture. The Psalms are Scripture. And as such, the Apostle Paul will say things like, all Scripture is profitable for our development, for our training as human beings. They correct us. They guide us. They encourage us. They heal us. They lift our eyes to Jesus and to the Father again and again and again. They kind of redirect our paths. They discipline us. Scripture is designed to do that. All Scripture is. And the Psalms are Scripture. It's beautiful songs, beautiful poetry, but it's Scripture. It's designed to train us, to develop us, and to mature us as the people of God. It's designed for that. Second reason we visit them over and over and over again is because they are poetic songs. It's poetry. And poetry has its way of making itself in these like really powerful and profound truths come into your heart through like a side door. They don't come in primarily through kind of like analytical thinking. They come through meditation, contemplation, feeling, melodies, singing, and they find their way into the sort of side doors of your heart in ways that can just reach and unearth kind of soil and areas of your heart that when we start thinking too much and we kind of lead with our brain too much, we have ways of kind of analyzing or arguing or kind of reasoning our way away from certain truths. And Psalms have their way of kind of making their truth into us in a different way. So think about a song, uh, you could say a truth like this, right? Like trust in God or God is sovereign, trust him, right? That's a propositional truth with this imperative command, right? That's something Paul would talk about as trusting in God or something you'd hear in these different kind of epistles. And the Psalms won't say trust in God. They, they will say that, but they'll do it in the context of all these images and metaphors. Think about like Psalm 146 where, or Psalm 46, where instead of saying trust in God, it says God is my refuge, God is my strength. He's a very present help in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Even if the earth is giving way, even if the mountains are tossed into the depths of the sea, even though the the waters roar and foam and threaten to undo creation itself, even while everything feels unstable and is tumultuous and shaking, God is a safe place. He's like a little fortress, a, a refuge that keeps me safe in times of trouble. And so I come to God when life feels chaotic. That's why when the pandemic hit, the first thing we're doing is returning to places like Psalm 46, because the world feels like it's shaking and we're reminding ourselves there's a safe place with God. But he goes there through metaphors where you feel this visceral sense of it feels like the world is shaking. It feels like the waters are just threatening to undo creation itself. It feels like everything's unraveling and unwinding. Where's their safety? Where's their safety? It's in God. He's my refuge. So it has its way of kind of coming through the sort of side doors of our heart, but also in a way that connects with us in the full range of human emotion. 
Poetry has its way of, of kind of bringing to light emotions that when we, again, lead with our mind, which I love thinking and analyzing and understanding, but when I lead with my mind, I often shut down aspects of my heart, shut down aspects of my emotions, grief, anger, confusion, anxiety, joy, euphoria, friendship, love, warmth, all these things that the Psalms have a way of kind of through cycles and through metaphors and through the way they kind of move their own kind of like poetic literary movements have a way of building up within you some of these feelings and helping you identify the, the actual emotions that you bring to the table. And that's really important. God designed us with a range of emotions that aren't bad. Emotions are just emotions. Emotions aren't bad. They're real. Often we feel ourselves, I shouldn't feel this way. Okay, Step number one is, I feel this way. Just being honest about your emotions is human and appropriate and healthy. And learning, like, what's leading me to feel that way? And and what does God say about those feelings? And can he handle those feelings? And he can. You're going to find in the Psalms anger, indignation, resentment, frustration, fear, grief, desperation. You'll also find joy, laughter, singing, bands that are just erupting and joyous, like cacophonous noise and celebration of who God is. You see longing. You see people being kind of like numb and complacent, feeling like their soul has gone to sleep, begging their soul to wake up. All these things that we've all felt. We've all felt. And the Psalms say that's real and they help connect with us in that space. But it's not just poetic songs. They're also prayers. And so they teach you how to relate to God in that space, how to actually connect with God in the reality of the things you feel that God can handle those things and wants to. There are emotions in the Psalms like, that God isn't saying, like, you need to feel this way in this thing, or things that David will say that feels like gnarly stuff, like gnarly stuff about his anger towards different people, and you're like, whoa, God's not saying you need to feel that way about your enemies. David just did feel that way about his enemies, and he went to God honestly about it. And God handles that and guides and directs and leads and brings and makes sense, brings sanity to some of the thoughts and the feelings that we have. And so as we think about actually inter- interacting with God, it invites us to interact with God in the honesty of our emotions, which I think many of us, especially in traditions and kind of cultures like our own church culture and tradition, theological tradition, have a hard time understanding and connecting with God at an emotional level. And the Psalms help us with that. That's why we re- revisit them every summer. They help us relate to God and come to God in the reality of our human emotions. And he can handle it. He can handle your fear. If you think about even this week, processing the shootings, think about the feelings that I had. I I didn't want to think about it because every time I did, I felt so angry, so devastated, so gutted every time. What does it mean to like let myself go there and just weep before God? Well, that's called lament. And there's lots of psalms of lament. Lots of them where people feel the brokenness and just weep before God and process their grief and their confusion before him. There aren't quick fixes. There aren't God is going to change this right away. It's just interacting with a God who cares and weeps with those who weep. So they're prayers. The last feature and the last reason why we come back to the Psalms again and again and again is because the Psalms are about Jesus. They're about Jesus. All of the Bible is about Jesus. The law the prophets, the Psalms. Jesus said so himself that all of these things pointed to me. And the question that 
we ask often is how? How are they pointing us to Jesus? How are these songs where people are desperate to be in the temple or afraid that their enemies are chasing them and how will God vindicate them in the face of these enemies or in these places where there's real desperation for God to bring restoration to Israel or when there's kind of confession of sin? Where's Jesus in all of these psalms? Well, there's a few, few kind of ways that you see Jesus in the psalms. One is a lot of the psalms very much are the kind of experience of humanity that Jesus himself identifies with. And so when Jesus is kind of journeying through his own life, he quotes from the Psalms to express his own feelings before God more than any other book of the Bible. He's often quoting Psalms like Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He quotes Psalms about being the cornerstone on which the builders are stumbling and tripping, but he is the cornerstone and God's going to build this new dwelling place around him. He quotes Psalms of grief and lament. He's all, all, all over his ministry, he'll express these Psalms as an expression of his own feelings before God as he interacts with his father as a human. But he's also the God of the Psalms. He is the Lord. He is the Christ. He is the King. He's the Messiah that the songs keep looking to and pointing to. So you get to a place like Psalm 110 where David's talking about the Lord says to my Lord. You're like, who's, who's David's Lord? David's the King. He's talking about Yahweh says to David's Lord. Who's David's Lord? We looked at this last summer. It's Jesus. He's the Messiah. He's the coming King. They point to him in that way as well. But one of the things that I think I haven't paid as much attention to that just by creating a little space for us today helps us to give more attention to as a church is that the Psalms also are a unified literary work. It's not a bunch of like random like best hits. It's not like a, you know, you're listening to the radio and it's like somebody's, let's play this one and what's another one people like? Let's play this one. What's another one people like? Let's play this one. The Psalms were written by different individuals over the course of five to eight hundred years in different situations, in different seasons, with different historical circumstances. But those psalms were then compiled by scribes and priests in the temple and arranged with incredible beauty and artistry. So you'll notice, as you read the psalms, a few things that you don't always pay attention to when you're just doing one at a time or hit and miss. One is the psalms are arranged in five books. There's five books of psalms. And you'll notice them, the beginning of one right at the beginning, and then you have some... 43 is the beginning of another. As you work through the Psalms, you see these different books. Book 5 starts in Psalm 107. So we've been in Book 5 for a little while, the last book of the Psalms. And they were arranged where you have Davidic Psalms in most of these books. You have songs by different people. They're arranged with themes and with intention and with design to help walk people through Israel's history, the history of their kingdom, and to lead them to hope in the coming of a new king as a whole. And so we often connect with one psalm at a time, and we miss the sort of literary whole and the beauty and the artistry with which they're compiled. And so I'm going to just draw a teeny bit of attention to that so we can have some sense of how do the songs of ascent fit? Because if we just read each song of ascent as an individual thing that we might connect with, there's legitimacy that's good. I'm not saying that's bad. It's the way most of us read the psalms most of the time. But we're missing something that they're doing as this whole unified literary work. And so There are five books of the Psalms, which a lot of the kind of early rabbis would refer to the five books of David. So you think about the five books of Moses, that's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The five books of Moses, which trace God's creation of humanity, the fall of humanity as 
humans re- rebelled against the presence of God. God's promise that he'd restore his kingdom through Abraham, the work of God bringing restoration through Abraham as people trust in him, through his offspring, Isaac, Jacob, the establishment of the people of Israel, their captivity and slavery in Egypt, God redeeming them from Egypt in the Exodus, him bringing them into the wilderness, into his presence in Numbers and Deuteronomy, and him establishing his reign over them. In that space, they turn from him again and again and again. And the outcome of your feeling, if you read through the five books of Moses, is there's a God who made us, who loves us. When we turn away from him, it leads to destruction. But he's on a mission to restore us. But even when he's restoring us, we keep turning away and messing the whole thing up. That's the kind of feeling you get when you finish the five books of Moses. Same thing's true when you read the five books of David, when you read the Psalms as a whole. So at the establishment of the Davidic kingdom, David as this king in his own complex journey into power, the difficulties, the failures, the setbacks as he's being pursued by Saul and chased in the wilderness and hiding for his life and feeling like, where's God? And I long to be in God's presence. I long to be in Jerusalem, but I'm just running for my life all the time. And then moments of joy and instruction. That's book one and two of the Psalms are largely about that. And then he finally establishes his kingdom. And in the middle of book two, You see this egregious moral failure where he's confessing his sin with Bathsheba, this sexual failure that he confesses publicly, kind of outed, and then he confesses it before God with a sense of brokenness and mercy. And you feel when he is turned from the reign of God, everything falls apart again. God established his kingdom. David turned from God's wisdom and reign. And David brings brokenness into his own life, his own family. And you see it happen kind of king after king after king, this rebellion and to the point where you get to book three, and it's mostly laments that the people of Israel have been exiled from God's presence, that there's a brokenness again. So when we got to that summer where we were mostly in book three, you're like, it was like a bunch of dark songs, like a bunch of grief, a bunch of sadness, a bunch of darkness, and a bunch of like imprecatory prayers, uh, which is just like, oh, that's going to be a fun summer. Um, Book five is a lot more joyful, a lot more praise because it's leading towards restoration. But even in that space, it's this experience of God establishes a kingdom. There's a promise. There's this building of a kingdom. David turns from the king, just like Adam and Eve, just like the people of Israel after the Exodus. David turns from the king, brings brokenness, pain, and they're exiled from his presence. That's book three of the Psalms. Book four of the Psalms is saying, even still, God reigns. All these enthronement songs about him being king. He reigns. He's not going to give up on his people. He will never ever give up on his people. It's who he is. It's in his character. Though the people are far away and though they're crying out, how long, O Lord? And why, O Lord? And we're out here, O Lord. And would you restore us and give us mercy and redeem us, O Lord? God reigns and will bring redemption. And that's what book four is largely about. God's plan to restore people home, to bring them back home. Exile is them getting kind of kicked out of, exiled from their homeland in Jerusalem, taken into Babylon. And Psalm 4 begins to look up again at God bringing restoration. Book 5 of the Psalms is about God bringing that work of restoration, accomplishing that work of restoration where the people of Israel actually were kind of freed from exile and returned to Jerusalem. But even so, they felt the brokenness. They felt this isn't right. And they began to look, who's going to be our new king? All of our kings failed us. We failed. We turned from God again and again and again. So we're back, but we're not back. We're not home. Something's not right. And the end feeling in the book of Psalms, as you read through the whole book, is when is a king going to come? When is this Messiah going to come and redeem and restore and change us and restore us to the joy and the life of his kingdom? That's what the book of Psalms is about. And this section, the Songs of Ascent, is essentially a collection of 
songs or psalms that help guide the people on their journey back into God's presence. So if you are thinking about it, you think about it like this. As the people of God, we turn away from him like children in the father's house, like the prodigal son prodigal son story, where we've got the father's house, we're in the father's house, we say, I don't want you anymore, I don't want your stuff, I'm going to do it my way, I, give me the money, give me my goods, I'm going to go out into a far country, and I'm going to do my own thing. And you hit that space in the far country, and this son who's run away from the father is experiencing all this brokenness and pain, where all of a sudden he's eating with pigs, and he's feeling the brokenness and the destruction and the pain that he's brought because he turned from his father's love and turned from his father's house, and he finally remembers Life was better with my father. What am I doing? He's in a far country, and he remembers life was better with his father. What am I doing? And he turns, and he begins this journey home, thinking it'd be better to be a servant in my father's house than to be out here eating with the pigs, and the father running for him and welcoming him. That journey home is what the songs of ascent are for. It's for the journey home. It's for the journey home for every generation of the people of God and all the ways we wander and all the ways we go into far countries. It's to guide us in our journey home. And in particular, as the people of Israel would kind of think about this song, they would sing these songs three times a year on their journey back to the temple. So three times a year, they had what they called pilgrimage feasts, right? One would be during Passover where we celebrate Good Friday and Easter. They would celebrate the Passover meal. It's in this yeah, in the springtime, they celebrate the Passover meal. And about four weeks later, they'd go back to Jerusalem again and celebrate Pentecost. It's kind of beginning of the harvest. And then later in the fall, they'd celebrate the Feast of Booths, where they'd come and again celebrate God's provision for them. Three times a year, no matter where you lived as an Israelite, all of at least the male children, but really whole families, would pack up their bags and begin the journey home. And they'd go home. And you know what they'd sing on their journey home? They'd sing the songs of ascent. They sing the songs of ascent, reminding them, guiding them, just like if you're going home to your house and what does it mean to go back home for them to go back to the presence of God, to go back to the place where they felt secure, a kingdom that they were made for and they long for. And the songs of ascent do that. So I want to show you a couple things in these songs. We're going to look at just a few verses and then talk about what, so what does that mean for us? Because I think it has incredible significance for us right here, right now. Look with me. The first song of ascent is Psalm 120. And look what it, how it starts. It says, a song of ascent's. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. He says later, verse 5, Woe to me that I sojourn in Mesek, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace or who hate shalom. I long for peace. I long for shalom. But when I speak, they're for war. We have more time to look at that next week. Joel's going to be unpacking it. But the idea is he's in a far country, far away. Mesek, Kadar, far countries, far away. And he has this longing. This is a broken place with corruption. And I'm so bent and broken in, the, in this space. And I long to be in God's presence. But I'm out here and it's painful. I long for shalom, wholeness, restoration. But even when I speak about it, there's division and brokenness and pain. Deliver me, O Lord. And that really is the foundation of our journey as Christians, what Mark Sayers will call a holy discontent. When you reach this place of a holy discontent, I'm not okay. I'm not okay with the way that the world is. I'm not okay with the way that my heart is. I'm not okay with where my family is. I'm not okay. I can't do this on my own, where you kind of take an honest assessment and say, I'm not okay. It's not okay. It's not okay. This isn't okay. 
We in our culture, in particular in Denver, a lot of us kind of move from different places because we think Denver's the place where like, we're going to make everything good. Like it's going to be good. If we get kind of our, our kind of recreational life in the right spot and get our kind of exercise, health, fitness life in the right spot and get our economic finances in the right spot and get our friendships in the right spot and our family in the right spot and we live in Denver and we get to kind of have this, man, we could build a life that's okay. Like it's pretty okay. And we're off in Qadar, we're off in Mesek, we're off in Babylon trying to like, make it work and try to be okay with life in exile. And the baseline of Christianity is to say, it's not okay. There's a brokenness within me and around me, and I'm not okay with it anymore. Where do you feel the not okayness of your own heart and the not okayness of the world in which we live? Where do you feel it? Where do you feel a holy discontent tell you it's easier to see it out there than it is to see it in here. And the baseline of Christianity is to recognize that we contribute, each of us, to the brokenness in the world, each of us. And to become like that prodigal son who's in a far country and says, this isn't okay. And that's largely what Psalm 120 begins. It's the beginning of the journey back to the presence of God. It's to become discontent with the reality in which we live, the reality of our own hearts, our own condition. Look at Psalm 121 a song of a sense. So I lift my eyes up to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from Yahweh who made heaven and earth. Saying not just do you kind of recognize this holy discontent, you finally turn and you look and say, I need help. I cannot fix this. I cannot change this. No matter how hard I work, I can't make life okay. And so I need someone outside of me to deliver me, to save me, to redeem me. And I'm looking around and I remember to look to Jerusalem, to the hills. Where does my help come from? It comes from Yahweh, the creator of the heavens and the earth. The only God, the only one, the only way you can experience joy, restoration, a kingdom of flourishing and love and life and peace and shalom. The only one who can bring that is the one who made the heavens and the earth. And that's the next moment in the journey, not just to become discontent, but to lift your eyes to the hills. Look with me at Psalm 122, verse 1. A song of ascents of David. So I was glad when they said, that's a word for just joyful. I was, I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. Let's go home. Let's go home. We've been kind of fooling around out here trying to build life and make it all work. And it's just been painful and destructive and hurtful. And I feel broken and I don't know what to do. I just don't like it anymore. Deliver me, God. Where is my help going to? It's going to come from Yahweh who made heaven and earth. Let's go to the house of the Lord. It's time. It's time to begin our journey. And the Israelites would sing this in the beginning of their journey, year after year after year, three times a year they'd sing it. And it still exists for us to guide us, like this playlist to guide us in this journey back into the presence of God. And as the people would go and the songs continue to move and kind of roll out throughout the rest of the songs of ascent, it begins to celebrate life in God's presence, his mercy, his grace. Even when they begin to get on this journey, there are these moments right at the center of all the songs of ascent, Psalm 127. It's Solomon's song. And he's saying, unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain. We can have turned to him, but if we stop relying on him for a second, Everything kind of like goes back into pain and destruction. Every time we stop relying on him and trusting in him and trusting in his power, we make a mess of stuff. And I resonate with that so much. I make a mess of stuff. Every time I start relying on my own strength and forget about my need for God, and my need for his wisdom, his grace, his help, his guidance, I make a mess of things. And so do you. 
We turn from him again and again, and when we return to him, these songs guide us on that journey. By the end of the songs of ascent, you'll get to these songs of praise where people are experiencing joy and life in God's presence, in his kingdom, in the temple, and they're offering their lives to serve God's kingdom however he's called them to do it. It's a beautiful vision of this journey. Faraway lands where we find destruction and pain and brokenness. We come to the end of ourselves, holy discontent. We lift our eyes to the hills. We decide together, hey, let's go to the house of the Lord. Somebody's like, let's go back to Jesus together. And you're like, man, that made my heart erupt. When I heard somebody invite me to return to God, I'm like, that's where I need to be. Maybe that's where you need to be. You need somebody to say to you today, let's, let's go to the house of the Lord. Let's go home. Let's go home. Enough of this wandering in a far country. Let's go home. Let's follow Jesus. Let's lift our eyes to the hills. Let's trust in him. Let's walk with him. And let's journey home. And that's where joy is found. It's where praise is found. It's where worship is found. It's where life is found. It's where true, secure, covenantal love is found. It's in the presence of God. But it is a journey. And so here's kind of my, as I reflected on these, some areas where it just felt significant to me as I think about this journey home. And these, particularly these songs as they unpack it. And the first uh, kind of significance for me is that this idea that Christian life, the Christian life is a journey. It's a pilgrimage. Uh, We are offering these books. We have them available in the back. It's called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction by Eugene Peterson, who passed away a few years ago. Phenomenal pastor. First and foremost, he's a pastor. He also wrote the Bible. I mean, not wrote, but you know what I mean. Yeah, he wrote the message, which is a translation of the Bible. That's pretty awesome. Um, And uh, so he writes this, which is specifically a reflection on the songs of ascent. And one of the things he notes in there is that we as Christians treat God and the presence of God as tourists, not as a pilgrimage. So we like kind of say, hey, I'm living my life out here in exile, in the far country, trying to make life work. And like, I'll take a little kind of like vacation on a Sunday. Like, let's be near God and let's enjoy God and let's feel good about it. And then I'm going to go back out and still try to build my life apart from him day in, day out. Or I'm going to go on a retreat, or I just need another fix, or I just need this. If I just get like enough little like visitations, but still kind of try to build my life out here. It's like treating God's presence as like a tourist. And that's not the vision. The vision isn't my approach to Kansas City where I go see my family once a year or so. The vision is to make our home with him, to continue on this journey, and it's a pilgrimage. So you think pilgrimage at the 9 a.m., I, I almost, I was, I was going to say, you know, let's think about the Lord of the Rings, but I almost said the Lord of the Flies, which is a very different story. <laughs> very different story. Uh, so the Lord of the Rings, you think about, when you think pilgrimage, it's an epic journey. It's an epic journey with twists and turns and valleys and villains and setbacks and wounding and pain and brokenness and divisions and fear and confusion. Times you want to give up, times you do give up, times you wander away, times you clash, times you got hurt, times you hurt somebody else. And on this journey, think about the Lord of the Rings, this epic journey with this fellowship, they're moving towards this destination. And that's what the pilgrimage is like. It's a movement through twists and turns and valleys. And what makes this movement, if you think about the Lord of the Rings, what makes the movement meaningful? What makes it successful? It wasn't their perfection. It wasn't that they didn't mess up. It wasn't that they were perfectly unified all the time. It wasn't that everything worked well and it was pleasant. It was they kept going and they kept returning and they kept working through the difficulties and they kept pressing in because they're committed to this. This is the way, right? This is the way. This is the way we're going. This is the way we're going as a people. The Christian life is a journey. It's a journey with a lot of different twists and turns and setbacks and pain. We're prone to wander. We turn back again and again. We're prone to give up. 
And the Christian life requires a kind of resilience, a faithfulness that's not perfection, but a faithfulness that we keep turning again. And these songs help us do it. They help us turn to him. They help us turn to him again and again. And as we do it, it also gives us maturity on the journey. The journey itself is designed to bring maturity and development to grow us as human beings. That's why Eugene calls it a long obedience in the same direction. That as you continue on the journey, long time, faithfully moving that direction with all your failures, all your mistakes, all your setbacks, God matures, he develops, he grows, he strengthens, he refines, he purifies, he redeems in ways that make you at the end of the story say, not to us, O Lord, but to your name be glory. I turned away so many times, I wandered so much, and the way you're faithful to redeem, to restore, to reconcile, and to heal again and again and again, you give glory to God for his faithfulness on the journey. Second thing that I think is significant is that this journey does always begin with this holy discontent, this sense of there's something that's not okay, but even along the journey, there are pains and challenges all along the way. It's not like you leave pain and difficulty and all of a sudden you're on this like smooth path. There's pain and there's difficulty all along the way. There are things that threaten our soul. So we talked about that in Matthew 18 that God loves his kids. He's on a mission to bring all of his kids into his fold. He doesn't want a single kid to perish. He wants all of us as his children, his created beings, to make our way home to his presence. And he's chasing us down. But as we turn from our sin, we come to him with humble dependence. We begin this journey home. There's stuff within us and stuff around us that will threaten to turn us away again and again and again. And that's why we need Matthew 18 and we need one another. We need one another. That's why I love these songs. That these songs show us the need for companions on the journey. The fact that they would sing these together, the, thing, the fact that they would sing these as a people, the fact that you might identify with one particular song on a, a particular day, somebody else might with another, but you remember, I'm not alone on the journey. I need other people around me. You need other people around you because we're prone to wander. Our hearts are fickle. There are real threats. We need each other. When we come here today on a Sunday, and we gather together and we're singing and, and you have Joel and Sarah and others who are working on the worship set. They're thinking and praying throughout the week. How do I create a playlist for the people to make their way into the presence of God? How do we create a playlist to guide people in the presence of God in the place of grief and confusion and pain? And so this particular Sunday, we need, to, we need to lament together. We need to slow down and pay attention and grieve before God. And then we're going to sing this song that walks us through these realities do you feel the world is broken? We all do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? We, we all do. Do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? Oh, yeah. Okay, hearing you all sing that resonated with me today. I was like in the bathroom right before I came up here and somebody asked me, you got allergies? I'm like, nope, just crying. <laughs> just, uh, just straight crying. And uh, this is like hitting me deeply. I feel that. But to hear this community sing that, you're helping me make my way back to God in the midst of grief and pain and confusion. You're helping me. We help one another. We need companions along the way. That's why we gather together on Sundays. It's not supposed to be a solo journey. We need to gather together, but also in smaller communities to confront one another, to challenge one another, to encourage one another, to pray for one another, to support one another along the way. We need companions along the journey, and the songs of ascent give us that. They remind us that we're not alone on the journey. And the last thing I'll just draw attention to is that the songs also, again, remind us that joy ultimately comes in the presence of God and the way to God's presence is something that we cannot open up for ourselves. 
The very fact that God is inviting people into his presence and the very fact that these songs are written as the people of Israel were journeying back to Israel, they made their way back to Jerusalem. You know what they found in Jerusalem? Brokenness and pain. They start rebuilding the walls. And you can read about that in Nehemiah. They start kind of rebuilding the temple. You can read about that in Ezra. You, they start rebuilding these things and they're like, something's still not right. No matter how much we rebuild, it's still not right. And it left them with this desperation. We need a new king who can redeem us from our own brokenness. We need a king that could come and lay down his life to bring mercy and grace to us in our rebellion. We need a king who can establish a kingdom that's different, where our kings have failed again and again and again. We need a king who's not going to fail us anymore, who's not going to turn away from God anymore. And it leaves the whole Old Testament with this hope. When will that king come? And then the king comes in the person of Jesus, and he pursues us in love, and he makes us open and opens for us a path such that when Thomas is like, we don't know. Jesus is like, I'm going to be with the Father. He said, we don't know the way. Jesus says, I am the way. I'm the road. I'm the path you walk on. I am the truth. There are lies out there. I am the truth. I am the life. There is death out there. I am the life. And you're not going to make your way back to the Father except if you come through me. Come through me. And so our journey as Christians is to turn again to Jesus to his mercy, to his grace, to his love, to his presence, to dependence on his power, to trust in the spirit and to do it together as we pursue this slow, long pilgrimage to the presence of God. And when we do it, we get to sing songs like this along the way that remind us that God's presence is here and now. May we taste it and see the beauty of his presence as we walk this journey together. Let's pray. Jesus, would you help us even now? to turn to you as a people, uh, where we are in far countries, where there's brokenness within us, where we feel the shadows deepen around us. Would you help us to lift our eyes to the hills? Remembering our help comes from you, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the one who out of nothing, you could speak the world into existence, that you are this king who can decree things and bring not just creation, but new creation, redemption, that Jesus, you're the one who's been given this authority to open these seals, to like unfold these kingly decrees to bring redemption to the world. That you have authority to break the seal, to open the scroll, and to open up a path for redemption. And so we pray that you'd help us to be a people who turn to you and do it together. Where we're weary, where there's pain, where there's grief, where there's sin. Would you convict? Would you redeem? Would you heal? Would you guide us as a people as we make our journey back home to be with you? In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. Park Church exists to make disciples of Jesus for the glory of God and for the joy of all people. If you enjoyed this, make sure you share it with someone. We'd also love to hear from you on social media at Park Church Denver. Lastly, more resources and info are available online at partchurch.org. Peace and love.